0: You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. And you can just put your finger there. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, uh, you can... Go over to UVersion, the UVersion Bible app, and there's actually a link in the description of this video. And you can uh, click on that, and that will take you right to an event that has all of the sermon notes for today. Uh, you'll have the Bible passage right there in front of you. We want you to be able to see God's Word for yourself. It's so important that you would uh, know that what I'm saying is not just from me, it is from God. And so your Bibles are are turning now to Matthew chapter 6. We are in a sermon series called Good and Faithful, Stewardship as a Way of Life. And really our goal for this series is that we would learn to use everything that God gives us for the sake of his kingdom. We're looking at how we can use our time and our talent and our treasure, our our relationships, all all of these things that God gives us are resources entrusted to us so that we can use them to advance His kingdom purposes in our lives. And and we can advance His kingdom purposes in the lives of the people around us. And so this series is being preached by a group uh, of, of men that we've called a Preaching Cohort. It's a group of men who have been meeting monthly to get trained up in the essentials of preparing and preaching a sermon. And, and we're, we're starting this training, uh, we, we started it all the way back in January, and we've worked on it monthly together. And uh, we've had two of those men uh, preach already, they, they were two of our elders. And then uh, this is the only sermon that I'm preaching, and then we're going to have four more men uh, preach in the weeks to come. And really, I am just so encouraged by all of the work that they have put in and all of the ways that they are humbly learning and growing. And even more, I am totally in awe of how God has put this whole thing together. Because when we started this thing four months ago and we were determining what passages we would preach and we were talking about the idea behind this series, we had no idea, no idea what would be going on in these seven weeks. Four months ago, as far as we knew, uh, I was supposed to be on sabbatical right now. The church was going to be growing through a season of everybody having to step up in new ways and we were all going to be growing together, meeting together in the same place. And back then, uh, our understanding for how God was going to use this particular series was totally different than it was today. But God, in His infinite wisdom, had different plans for us. Like, don't you just love a God who knows our past, present, and future? And don't you love a God who is intimately involved in all of the details of our lives and cares enough to reveal himself in specific ways to his people? Like, God is doing that for you right now, for you. And if only you would lean in and seek what he is saying. See, God knew that we would be going through this COVID-19 pandemic right now. He knew that our church would be scattered in our different homes and in our different situations and that we would need encouragement each week. He knew that there would be a lot of conversation in our society about what types of work are life-sustaining and life-essential. And He knew that, that many of you would be feeling the weight of having the, your hours and wages cut at work. Some of you even losing your jobs. He knew that we would no longer be able to take for granted a stable economy and even the basic provisions of life. He knew that staying healthy and preserving our lives would be on our minds a lot. He knew. He knew and in his knowing he he worked through a group of spirit-led men to organize a sermon series that spoke directly from his word to these pressing issues of our days when we didn't have a clue what they would even be and i believe that this is especially true as we look at Matthew chapter 6 stewarding our treasure for God's kingdom, our treasure. And so Keith uh, Martin, when he preached two weeks ago, had an object lesson for each uh, of our stewardship lessons. And, and today, uh, for the, the treasure uh, that we are to steward, it, the item was a wallet. Uh, our, our money and, and what we buy with it. That's what we're talking about uh, when we're talking about our treasure. And, and specifically in this text, the provisions that God gives us and equips us with. And I firmly believe that one of the things that God is doing in this coronavirus pandemic is helping us to see just how fleeting and failing are the treasures and the values of this world. And just how unshakable is his eternal kingdom. See, in an instant, a tiny little microscopic virus can undo an entire global economy. And it can leave the rulers of this world in utter confusion. But God isn't shaken one bit. And this virus, this virus and its effects, it's produced the perfect setting for us to learn how to be good and faithful stewards for His kingdom. Trusting that he is a good and faithful master in any situation, whether we have been entrusted with what we think is a little or what we think is a lot. So, the passage that we're in today directly addresses what so many people are thinking about and feeling right now anxiety about provision. Will the economy be able to rebound from this shutdown? Will my workplace ever be the same? Will the government make right decisions? Will my wages get back to what they once were? Will I be able to keep up with my bills and basic necessities? How will this shutdown affect me later down the road or or my kids? Maybe you kids, maybe you've read the news or or maybe overheard a conversation and you really aren't sure what this means for your family or for your future and so you're maybe a little bit worried? And so I believe with all of my heart that God planned this passage for this moment to point us in this direction. Here's our big idea for this morning. Do not be anxious about provisions. Just seek God's kingdom. Do not be anxious about provisions. Just seek God's kingdom. That's our big idea for today, and it's not something that I made up. It comes straight from God's Word, and so your Bibles are open to Matthew 6, and we're going to begin reading in verse 25. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now this passage is really part two of what Alden Bowman preached last Sunday for us. And uh, we we find it in the greater context of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Really, the Sermon on the Mount is a compilation of teachings that Jesus preached on a regular basis as he traveled through the towns and countrysides of Israel. And in this particular setting, uh, we see in in chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus is preaching a sermon on a mountain to a group of people who followed him closely. We call those people his disciples. And so just kind of get that setting in your mind. A a mountain in Israel, kind of the Middle East setting. uh, And uh, Jesus is on a mountainside with about 100 or so disciples. And and in addition to those people, then, on the outskirts, you have these large crowds that are gathered around to listen as well. And and they're just kind of seeing who this Jesus character really is all about. They aren't really following him yet, but they are uh, kind of curious And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you don't really know Jesus in a personal way. You you haven't gone all in and started following him through faith. And so you're just a bystander watching from the outside. I'm so glad you're here, by the way. Because this is a great window into the ways that Jesus changes our lives. But but the crowds, while they're curious and bystanders, are, are missing a few pieces about who Jesus is. You see, Jesus had been preaching and teaching and healing people and and people were starting to wonder, rightly so, if he was the Messiah. Is he the one that God had promised who would be the Savior King who would restore the nation of Israel? And honestly, their, their suspicions were correct. Jesus was the Messiah. He is the Messiah. Just not in the way that most people thought. They, they thought that Jesus would be a ruler who was, who was powerful and who would deliver Israel from their oppressors and he would bring them back to great wealth and prominence like King David or King Solomon had done. They thought that Jesus' priority was going to be giving them the things that they wanted that would make them look and feel good. Really, just, they're just like many of us. They they wanted somebody who would come and secure their own kingdom for them. Who would vindicate and validate what they were already doing. But in Matthew 5-7, through Jesus is showing that that is not his purpose. It wasn't his purpose then and it's not his purpose today. He's showing us that that his kingdom is an upside down, inside out kingdom compared to the kingdoms of this world. And, And it's going to require a transformation of their hearts in order to enter into this kingdom. See, the kingdom Jesus brings is all about us recognizing our lowliness before God, our dependence upon God. It's all about us recognizing the priority of our hearts, that we need more than external conformity or religious performance or looking good before others. We need genuine heart transformation to follow after the ways of God. And the fact that Christ's kingdom is so different from our own kingdoms demands that we would repent. That we would turn from the values and priorities of the kingdoms of this world and we would seek first His kingdom. See, repentance and saving faith changes everything about our lives just like it did for the first disciples. It changes the way we use our time. It changes the way we relate to others. It changes our emotions and our choices And it changes the way we view earthly treasure and material resources. Alden preached last week that that when it comes to treasure, we need to make God's kingdom our greatest treasure. The focus of our hearts must be storing up treasures in heaven, using earthly provision for eternal purposes. The focus of our eyes must be on seeing the great worth of God. The focus of our lives must be serving the true God, not the false God of money. But if we do that, if we make God's kingdom our greatest treasure, then we might be left with this question. How can we guarantee that we are going to have what we need? You might be saying, like, this spiritual kingdom stuff is good and all, but I still live in the real world. I still live in a world that I have to put food on the table and clothes on my family. I, I have rent. I have a mortgage. I have to pay utility bills. And so how do you really expect me to stay focused on God's kingdom when I still have to do all of this to keep up my life and to preserve my life? Which is why Jesus says what he does in verse 25. Look at verse 25 again, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Really, that's the heart of our big idea again. Do not be anxious about provisions. Just seek God's kingdom. Now, I totally realize that saying do not be anxious to someone who is already anxious is sort of going to fall flat. Like, you're telling me not to be anxious? I can't just turn that switch off. And so I want you to notice that that when the Bible tells us to not be anxious, it always gives us a rock-solid reason to hold on to. This isn't just stuff your anxiety down and pretend like it doesn't exist. This is inform your anxiety with truth. And in this text, we can actually find three rock-solid reasons to not be anxious. Three rock-solid reasons to not be anxious. And the first is going to be this. God has more resources than our self-reliant hearts can imagine. God has more resources than our self-reliant hearts can imagine. So the word that is used for anxious all throughout this text, it's over and over and over again. It means to be concerned, to strive after, like you're, you're fixated on something. You're, you're brooding, you're speculating, you're inquiring, you're, you're working, you're, you're controlling, you're manipulating. It's used about concerns that keep us up at night and keep us from feeling like we can't rest because we have to keep working, keep producing, keep storing up if we're going to have enough. Have you ever felt that way? Like the world is going to fall apart if you don't continue working? That's what Jesus is addressing. See, we think that our toil and our labor are the ultimate source of our provision. And so Jesus says this in verse 26. Look down at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? As Katie has been schooling our boys, she wanted to do a little something extra and out of the ordinary for these last weeks of the school year, and and so they've been learning about bird watching. And so every day I come home from the office and I get a rundown of all the birds that my kids saw on a walk. And they're very, very excited about it. And they, they've been looking up birds in this field guide. And they've been identifying birds on walks with their binoculars. And, and they've been drawing birds. In fact, uh, you kids who are listening, uh, why don't you just go ahead and on your sermon notes, just, just draw a picture of a bird right now as you listen to me. okay? So just, just start drawing a picture of a bird. And as you draw that bird, I want you to think about how does that bird get its food? Like, what does it eat? Does it have a garden where it plants seeds and it's always going out and watering things? No, no. And where does it store its food? Does it, does it have a big chest freezer in the basement full of worms? No. Does it have a shed out in the backyard where it stores up seed for the next five weeks? No, no, no. When a bird gets hungry, it just leaves its nest, it flies out over the land, looks down, finds a seed or a worm, snacks on it, A couple hours later, does the same thing. And there's always something there. There's always plenty. There are millions of birds, and they always have enough. And so, who's feeding them? If your kids are watching, kids, tell your parents who is feeding the birds? God. God is. But notice, I want you to notice what Jesus calls God. He, in this moment, doesn't call him God, he says, Heavenly Father. And not just their Heavenly Father, like the bird's Heavenly Father. No, no, no. Your Heavenly Father. I love how he uses those words, your Heavenly Father, when he's describing God. Because because he's reminding these disciples of just how near God is to his people. Those who put their faith in Jesus and seek his kingdom become not just citizens of some kingdom with this far-off king, They become children of the King. It's like Jesus taught them to pray earlier in the sermon. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. The the God who sits enthroned in the heavens is Your heavenly Father if You surrender Your life to Him. And the One who takes care of the birds who always have plenty is the one who is taking care of you and who loves you even more. He says, Jesus says, you are of more value than those birds. And God has even more resources than our self reliant hearts can imagine. So every time you see a bird from here on out, like for the rest of your life, I want you to actively think God feeds the birds every day, and He can take care of me as I seek His kingdom. See, in our anxieties, we strive and we toil after provision so that we can preserve our lives. But Jesus points this out in verse 27. By being anxious, we cannot add a single measure to our lifespan. That is possibly the most immediately convicting statement that Jesus ever made, in my opinion. Because how often do I try? How often do I try to add and preserve my life through my toil and my work? See, contrary to common thinking, our our provision is not ultimately the result of our toil. I'm not saying we don't need to work. The, The Bible is clear. If we don't work when we are able, we should not eat. But I'm saying that ultimately, it's God who opens His hand and provides food for every living thing. God is the one who gives you the ability to work. And if you're unable to work at a job and, and you need assistance outside of, uh, of that job or outside of working for it yourself, God is the one who puts you in a church and in a country who takes care of those who are vulnerable. The country may do it imperfectly, but, but God is the one providing God is the one giving you calling to work for His purposes. He's the one who provided your workplace with the means to pay you. And should they no longer be able to do so, He has a million other revenue streams. He's the one giving you the results of your work. He puts food on your table and clothing on your back and gives you every other provision in your life. And so don't give yourself or your workplace or the government too much credit here you can't add a second to your span of life through anxious toil you are not the source of your provision and god has more resources than our self-reliant hearts can imagine praise the lord in verse 25 jesus had mentioned two types of provision that we might be anxious about food and clothing The most basic necessities of our lives. And so so he uses the birds of the air as the illustration for the food that we need. And then he uses the flowers as the illustration for the clothing. So look at verse 28 now. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So the word that's used for lilies here uh, can also just be kind of a general word for flowers of any variety, uh, probably wildflowers of some sort. And so I imagine Jesus just kind of pointing to a patch of wildflowers off in the distance as he teaches on this mountainside. And he says, hey, hey, consider those. Just consider those. So my, my family spent a lot of time at our house planting flowers this week. And, and uh, some of our favorites uh, that we were planting are up on the screen. Peonies, lilacs. We, we transplanted some tulips. So, some other ones that, that we like uh, are, are up on the screen as well. And... Uh, God shows so much of his creativity in the varieties of flowers that are out there. And so Jesus says, consider them. That that word means stop and examine them closely. Take a moment to inspect them. And so I imagine Jesus just pausing for a moment to let his disciples take in the beauty of these flowers. And so let's just do that. Just, just maybe take a moment and have each person in your family share which is your favorite. And then put it in the comments, the, the one that gets the most votes maybe. Or if you're just watching and you're, you're, you're by yourself or something like that, uh, just drop that right in the comments. Which one is your favorite? Even if it's not pictured here. Uh, just, just share. You know what? Consider the flowers. Consider their beauty. Jesus wants them to consider, and as they consider the flowers, he wants them to recognize that these flowers are more finely clothed than Solomon, who is the wealthiest king in Israel's history. They're clothed with splendor, without toiling or spinning, without lifting a finger. They're just clothed by God. In his conclusion, if if God clothes disposable gla- grass, how much more will he clothe you? And then he adds this little tag, O you of little faith. O you who are anxious about food and clothing, who are fixated on the provision of earthly needs. To be a good and faithful servant is to trust God for our provision. And you can seek first the kingdom of God because He has more provision than your self-reliant heart can imagine. Your provision is not ultimately from your job. And so maybe you've taken a pay cut or or lost your job and you wonder how the bills are going to get paid. If you turn to Him in faith and seek His kingdom... Ask Him for your daily bread. He will give you everything you need. Maybe not everything you want to build your kingdom, but everything you need to build His. Maybe maybe you've been struggling with the thought of having to go on unemployment or to not being able to work for a season, and, and you're a proud worker who works hard and earns your wage, and this is just killing you to not be able to go. I want you to know that your provision was never truly the result of your work. Your provision was directly the result of a God who gave you that work and who cares for you and will give you what you need. And if he chooses to do that for a season through the unemployment office, praise God for his provision. I'm not saying be lazy forever and go live off the fat of others. I'm saying receive what God has given as a good gift from Him and use all of your energies that you would have spent on anxious toil for the sake of advancing His kingdom. Maybe you're frustrated today that that your unemployment or your stimulus check didn't come through when you expected. I want you to remember today that the government is not your ultimate provider. God is and that stimulus check will provide you no more security than you had the day before that you received it it's not where your security is found God is going to give you your daily bread the provision that is necessary for you today as you seek him and his kingdom God has more resources than our self-reliant hearts can imagine Therefore, look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The second rock-solid reason to not be anxious is is this, God has more purpose than our earthbound hearts can dream. God has more purpose than our earthbound hearts can dream. Jesus draws out this contrast between the people of his eternal kingdom and the Gentiles. That word uh, Gentiles, by the way, means in this case pagans, those those who don't know God, those who are alienated from God, who are enemies of him because of their sin. By the way, this is how we all start out as sinners. And so the Gentiles seek after and worry about all these things. Uh, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? I had to chuckle when I read that because it sounds like a pretty common typical day in quarantine, doesn't it? I've just finished breakfast. What's for lunch? Should I change my clothes today? Eh. Nah. But for the Gentiles, these questions consume their thoughts all the time because it's all that we have to focus on if our hearts are bound to this earth and this life. Our hearts are concerned about things that are are temporal because all we have to live for is this life if we don't know God. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. But that's not what citizens of Christ's kingdom are living for. See, we have a God who has eternity in store for us. And the purposes of his eternal kingdom are vastly different than the purposes of earthly kingdoms. See, eternity is not centered on making stuff ultimate and enjoying stuff as ultimate. Eternity is centered on enjoying God as ultimate. And so Jesus has this contrast between Gentiles and his disciples, The Gentiles purpose their hearts toward building up earthly kingdoms and acquiring physical provision and the disciples who aren't concerned about those things, they they just want to build God's kingdom. Remember what Alden talked about last week. We, We can either store up treasures on earth or we can store up treasures in heaven. So which kingdom are you living for? The mark of true believers, true disciples of Jesus is that they are living for an eternal kingdom. It's not just that they don't want to die and so they they say they believe in Jesus so that they can get eternal life. That's not a true believer. A true believer is seeking the eternal kingdom in which God is their God and they are his people. You see, without Jesus, we are all separated from God. We are separated from His kingdom. In fact, in our sin, we're not just separated. We're enemies of God. We are warring against His kingdom purposes in our lives every single time we sin. And God must judge sin. He placed all of us and all of His creation under a curse and and He promised that because of our sin, we would experience death. Not not just physical death, but, but spiritual death, in which we're separated from Him forever. And because of that curse, all of creation is groaning under the weight of judgment from God. But God in His mercy, sent Jesus, His only Son, as the only one who could save us from that curse of death and bring us into His kingdom. And so He took the curse upon Himself and He died on a cross in our place for our sin. And on the third day He was in the grave, God raised Him again and Jesus ascended to heaven where He now sits at the right hand of the throne of God, ruling over all things. And we must... We must turn our hearts from the things of this world to trust Jesus alone for our salvation and to worship Him as Savior and Lord over all. And if you have never done that, I would urge you to do that today and to let us know that you did so that we can walk with you in following Jesus. Just say something in the comments section on the YouTube channel. Don't be embarrassed by it. It is a joy. It is a gift that God is giving you if He is opening your eyes to salvation. Jump over to our website and and use the Connect page to tell us what God is doing in your heart. Because when we surrender our lives to Him through faith, our lives become entirely different. They become entirely about His kingdom work. Followers of Jesus... First, seek the kingdom, and they trust him for all the things of food and drink and clothing. Jesus promises, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things. All of the provisions that you need to live your life on earth for the kingdom of God will be added to you. It's not that you stop needing them and therefore stop worrying. It's that you're, you know that your Heavenly Father knows that you need them and you trust Him to provide when you need them. Don't be anxious about provision. Just seek His kingdom. We saw this purpose in our reading plan this week. If you were if you were reading along, I would encourage you to do that. By the way, the, the the reading plan is on our website, and you can go there and download it and read this week. We all need God's word every day, and and this plan is designed to add context and and color to our understanding of the sermons that are coming on Sunday morning. So so in our reading plan this week, we were reading in Acts chapter four, and in Acts four, the the, the church was only a few months old, and And yet it was over 3,000 people strong. And a lot of them were there in the church who actually lived in other regions and even other countries. And and so they didn't have their livelihoods in Jerusalem. And and so there was a lot of potential for need. But what we see in Acts chapter 4 is amazing and supernatural. You see, the lives of the believers have been radically transformed by Jesus. They believed in the power of the resurrected Savior King. They believed that this was the one whom they were waiting their whole lives to see. And they believed with all of their hearts that he would return and set up his kingdom and that everyone needed to know who he was. That was the most important thing in their lives and it was worth spending everything on. And so what we see them do in Acts chapter 4 is they start selling their land and their houses. Can you just imagine that? Like, Imagine Selling your most valuable earthly possessions, the only things that that would give you security in this world. And they took the proceeds of that and they laid the money down at the apostles' feet. Said, Here, you distribute it as you need. And they did it for two purposes that we see in Acts chapter four. First, they wanted to make sure that the needs of their fellow believers were met. By the way, that's how God fulfills the promise of Matthew 6 that all of his disciples will have what they need. Uh, He uses the church caring for one another. If you have a need, come to the church, please. We want you to ask if you are part of our church. and, And then second, in addition to caring for the needs, they also use the proceeds to... Make sure that the apostles could keep preaching the power of the resurrection. That They enabled the mission to continue through their offerings. This church was all in on making sure that the world knew about Jesus. And it showed in the way that they used everything that God gave them for the sake of his kingdom. They used the proceeds of their labor, the provision God had given, to reinvest in the building up of His kingdom. And we actually see this all throughout the Bible then, in, in people like uh, Priscilla and Aquila, who were tent makers, and they used their tent making business as a platform for telling people about Jesus. And they also used the proceeds of that to fund the ministry of Paul. We see this in a woman named Lydia, who was a seller of expensive purple cloth, and, and who used her home for the gathering of the church in Philippi. And again, from our reading plan, we we see this in 1 Timothy chapter 6. As Paul writes to Timothy in Ephesus, he says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. God is the one giving it all, and he gives it to enjoy. And this is how we enjoy it. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. This is how we seek the kingdom. we, we do good, we are rich in good works, we're generous, and we're ready to share. That word for share, by the way, is the same root word as what we see in Acts chapter 4 when it says they have all things in common. When they're giving up everything to make sure that everybody has what they need. This is extreme. And it's how our wealth is enjoyed in light of eternity. See, this is not some ideal that happened only once in the history of the church. This is the baseline for what the church is called to be. Every disciple seeking an eternal kingdom in the way that they use all of their earthly treasure. See, the way that we use our earthly treasure says a lot about the purpose of our hearts. Are are we earthbound or are we heavenbound? With my son Levi, we're we're teaching him how to manage money right now. And uh, maybe you kids have something like this. Uh, Levi has three jars And this isn't an idea that's original to us. My parents did something similar with me as a kid. But most instructions out there would tell you to label your three jars, give, save, and spend. Some for God, some for the future, and some for spending on yourself. But we wanted to label ours a little bit differently. We labeled ours, uh, give, save, and use. Because I want my kids to learn at an early age that we don't just give a portion to God and then spend the rest on ourselves. We are called to use everything God has given us for his kingdom. Now, now before you think I'm a real killjoy of a dad, like Levi can totally buy something that's fun to use with that money. But I want him to be able to think through how he is going to use that fun thing to be generous. To do good. To use it for the kingdom. So here's a little fun exercise for you. Uh, maybe you do this as a family after the service if you're watching together. Pick up an object in the room that you're in right now. Uh, any object would do. And, and I want you to think: uh, How can that provision be used for the kingdom? Just get creative in your mind. So I'm going to give you an example: the couch that you're sitting on, or maybe it's a chair. I don't know. How can that couch be used for the kingdom? It's a provision God has given you. He, he wants you to enjoy it, and ultimately he wants you to enjoy it by using it to enjoy him and his purposes. That, that's where true life is found. And so, so your couch could be a place where you teach your kids about loving God and neighbor. That would be a kingdom purpose. It could be a place where your family has tickle fights and morning cuddles, expressing the love that you share, and, and, the, and, and you can glorify God with that love. Your couch could be a place where, post-pandemic, you, you show hospitality to your neighbor and you, you show them the love of Jesus. Your couch could be a place where you counsel a brother or sister in Christ with the truth of God's word, or, or where you host a gospel community in your, for our church. There's so much, so much that a simple couch can and must be used for the kingdom. And so that's just one example. When you make a purchase of anything, Food, clothing, your home, your car. Do you think about how you're using it, how you're stewarding it for God? And maybe you're like, yeah, but if I did that with everything, it would just blow my mind and I wouldn't have any mind left. And Like, right, right. See, God has more purpose for your wealth than your earthbound heart can dream. He has more purpose for my wealth than my earthbound heart can dream. So this needs to start in prayer. We need to learn what it truly means to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we pray, give us this day our daily bread. There's an order to that. Your kingdom come and then give us what we need. And If you're facing a potential lack of provision, you need to know that you can go to God and you can ask him for your daily bread and you can trust him. But as you are praying, ask yourself this, uh, what exactly am I seeking God for right now? The restoration of my own kingdom or the building up of his? Ask him, ask him, definitely ask him, but ask him with the right desire to see his kingdom advanced in your life. Now now maybe you're still struggling with this thought. Maybe, Maybe this all sounds too spiritually minded to be of any earthly good. Maybe you're still trying to justify by saying, yeah, but I I still need to have food and clothes for tomorrow. Like, Can't I just make sure that I have everything that I need and then serve Christ's kingdom and and feel good about what I have stored up? Can't I just give God like a portion and then just still kind of have that security blanket? And to that person, Jesus says in, in verse 34, He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We must not be anxious about provision because God has more resources than our our self-reliant hearts can imagine. He has more purpose than our earthbound hearts can dream. And finally this, uh, God has more power than our time-bound hearts can control. The truth is, even when we try to control tomorrow, we can't. Tomorrow is not within your sphere of authority. Tomorrow has not been given to you to know. We, we are totally feeling the weight of this right now, aren't we? Like the pastor of one of our GCC churches posted this the other day on Facebook, and I thought it was simple and simple, oh, sorry, simple and helpful. And uh, it's on the screen for you. Two things that will not help your heart today. One, feeling bad about yourself, for having to live in this new normal. Like, why do I have to do this? And then two, obsessing and speculating on what the new normal will look like in the future. It's not going to help your heart. And the news and the government wants to try to figure out what tomorrow and next week and next month will look like and we want to demand that they do. But for all the wise planning we can do, We have to come back to this fact. We simply do not know. And that is for our good. We we do not have the power to handle controlling tomorrow. It's just not within us. It it, it would crush us if we did. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's not within your sphere of authority to know tomorrow. Tomorrow. But what is implied here is that it is within God's sphere of authority. See, for all you know, Jesus may return tomorrow and usher in the events leading up to his physical kingdom being established. And and when he comes, he's not going to be looking for how much earthly treasures you've built up with your great savings and investment expertise. I'm not saying don't ever save, and there's, there's definitely plenty of proverbs about that, but ultimately that's not where your hope is found. Jesus is not going to be impressed that you had every contingency plan covered in case of an emergency. Jesus is going to be looking for how you used your earthly treasure in faith, looking for his eternal kingdom. He's going to be looking to see if your hope was set there or if your eyes were fixed here. And when he comes, is he going to say, well done, Good and faithful servant, you were faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Sometimes in being anxious about tomorrow, we we miss the kingdom work that God has put in front of us today. The ways that he wants us to treasure, I'm sorry, to use our treasure today. Focus on today. Focus on what God has called you to do in building up his kingdom today. Start in prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ask Him for your daily bread and then use that daily bread for His eternal kingdom. What good has He set before you today to do with your provision? What good for your family? What good for your neighbor? What good for your fellow church member? Are you using even your provision, possessions that you already have your home, your car, your savings account, your couch? Are you using those things for the kingdom purposes of God? Are you generously giving to the church so that we can continue proclaiming Jesus and equipping servants and sending witnesses? So many of you are, by the way, and I just want to thank you for that. That I can come to the church and and see what, what we're giving and see that it's remaining faithful, but... Listen, it would not be uncommon for someone to say, you know what, like things are a little uncertain right now. I'll I'll give when it all just stabilizes. I'll give when all this is over. If that's you, I want you to consider who are you trusting as the king of your resources? So do this identify one specific way that you can purposefully use your treasure for God's kingdom purposes this week. Make it tangible. How are you going to apply this? Be generous. Make make it something that requires faith. Do good. Be ready to share. Do not be anxious about provisions. Just seek God's kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. We would pray right now that You would help us to recognize and see how holy You are, how high above the heavens You are, and yet how near to us You are as our Father. We praise You for that, Lord. We revere Your holy name. We look to You and we wait for You as the One who opens Your hand and satisfies the desires of every living thing. And we want to desire, we want to seek Your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, may the, the worship of Jesus that that controls heaven and fills the, the heavenly throne room be the heartbeat by which we live. May it be the song that we pursue. May it be the way that we every choice and every thought and every emotion seeking after your kingdom and your righteousness first. And Lord, I pray that you would give us our daily bread. I pray for my brothers and sisters right now that you would provide for their every need. Lord, I know how much you love them and I really truly pray that you would provide for them. And that they would seek you And that they would see how good a provider you are. Lord, I pray that you would lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into the temptation of chasing after the things of this world. That you would deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. May you be glorified in our lives this week as we use our treasure to seek your kingdom. Calm our anxieties, Lord, by the unshakable truth that you are our King. And we pray all of these things in the name of your matchless and good and gracious Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.